We're beginning our Lenten series today and looking at um, the days before the cross, days before um, Jesus suffered and died, and the days that, in a sense, are leading up to that. We begin here in Matthew 16, when Jesus first tells the disciples, starts beginning to tell them and show them what it means that he is a suffering Messiah, that he will endure suffering and shame on behalf of humanity. And we see uh, the reaction uh, that Peter has in particular here, and we will process that uh, through this sermon. First, we see that Peter got something right. So we're going to look first at what Peter got right, and next, what Peter got wrong, and finally, what it means for you and for me uh, that Jesus corrected Peter, that Jesus first um, commended Peter, and then Jesus corrected Peter, and how we can live lives that Jesus will ultimately commend and try to avoid those things that Jesus would correct. So first, let's look at what Peter got right. Jesus asked, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In the other Gospels, it says, it says, who do people say that I am? And the answers are some of the prophets, some of the Old Testament characters, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, and Jesus says then, who do you say that I am? The perfect setup. And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus is very pleased with his answer, but he doesn't give Peter a whole lot of credit. If you notice here, he says, surely... Um, It was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by, by, but by my Father in heaven. God told you this, uh, which is a good thing to have God tell us things, but he doesn't give Peter credit for coming up with it all on his own. But either way, the response that Jesus gives to Peter is very positive. You are Peter. In other words, he's giving Peter a new name, Simon, a new name, which is Peter, which is, means rock, which means strong, solid, stable. And on this rock, I will build my church. Peter is uh, the leader of the disciples, as we see as things uh, work out, uh, as, as uh, Jesus does, uh, is crucified and then rises, and then the church continues on. Peter is uh, definitely a leader in that church. But what he's also talking here about the church overall. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is saying, I am going to hand over the keys of the kingdom from me to you. Now, this becomes way more meaningful if you have ever had a teenager who for the first time took the keys to your car. You know what it feels like then. You know how it feels if you get a new job and you get the keys to the office. You have a new sense of importance. But to give a teenager the keys to the car is putting the car in a potentially precarious position. But Jesus gives the keys to the church, which is way more valuable than your car, or the kingdom of God, which is way more valuable than your car, into your hands and mine. He entrusts us with the message of the kingdom. 
we then have the keys to open the doors to the kingdom to people and to close the doors. And what I believe that, that Jesus is saying here is that by trans, by, when he ascends to heaven, sends the spirit to the church, he is then equipping the church to be the messengers of the kingdom of God in the world. And if we do it well, we open the doors to the kingdom. And if we fail to do it well, we close the doors to the kingdom to those who would otherwise hear the gospel and enter. So this is a very, very big responsibility that Jesus is handing over to Peter and thus to the church. And it's interesting, now most of us would skip over the first part of verse 13. I know I have most of the times I've read this, but let's look at it. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now, so what? <laughs> well, if you understand what Caesarea Philippi means, you understand that this is significant. They enter into the town named after Caesar and named after the regent Philip. So when they enter Caesarville, Jesus asks, who am I? And what he's getting across there is, as we enter this place that is known for its earthly rulers and the exaltation of those earthly rulers, who am I? So the point is, the point that they are to get is that Jesus is the king of kings over all of these earthly rulers. And Peter enjoys that idea. And for him, the idea of Messiah means conqueror, the one who's going to overtake all the, the interlopers, all those who um, have taken on leadership roles over the people of Israel, and the Messiah will dethrone them and give Israel back its rightful place. And Peter, being close to this Messiah, believes that he will have a very important place in that very important kingdom. But what he had failed to understand is that in the Old Testament, there are um, prophecies about this Messiah, and there are also prophecies about the suffering servant, the one who will be humble, the one who will be kind, the one who will not trample on a bruised reed or break it. He will not blow out a smoldering wick. He will not cry out in the streets, but accomplish justice quietly. And what Jesus does is he puts those prophecies together with the prophecies about the Messiah and says, this, this is who I am. So don't think, Peter, that I am going to um, take on the world by force. But instead, and then he goes on to explain what's going to happen. In, in verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and, this is where Peter doesn't like it, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the priests, the teachers, and that he must be killed. 
Peter takes him aside and says, Jesus, you've gotten this wrong. The Messiah is the ruler. The Messiah will take on all those people that will rise up against you and will make sure that they are put into their place. And Jesus says, some of the harshest words you can imagine, God saying to anyone, get behind me, Satan. Jesus says, Peter has gone from being a rock to being a stumbling block. He says, you are not right. You are a stumbling block to me. Jesus was so pleased with Peter when he made his confession that Jesus is the Messiah and probably equally displeased at Peter's response to, a, to knowing that the Messiah will suffer many things because Peter doesn't want to see or to have Jesus suffer anything. But the reason Jesus calls him Satan is because the temptation that Peter uh, presents to Jesus is the same temptation that Satan presented to Jesus uh, when he was being tempted by Satan at the beginning of his ministry. To avoid the suffering, to avoid the pain, to avoid the sacrifice, and just take on the reign, to take on the power to take on all the authority and to use that authority to put people in their place. But that is not what the Messiah, who is also the suffering servant, is called to do. Jesus is called to suffer. And for Peter to say, no, don't say that, you don't need to suffer, is for Peter to undermine the very thing that Jesus came to the world to do. The other thing is, that Peter was demonstrating that he didn't understand the ways of Christ. Once again, Satan, Satan's methods are force, coercion, self-exaltation. But Jesus' methods are self-sacrifice, suffering, and giving. Jesus' ways are far harder and come much less naturally to us. And that is why Peter didn't like them. But Peter was wrong because the kingdom of God is not brought about through power and force. The ultimate victory comes through suffering and sacrifice. It's no surprise that Jesus was crucified it's no surprise that the powers that be would not like his way of doing things and would undermine them. But what the surprise is, and we look forward to celebrating Easter at the end of Lent, is that Jesus rose from the dead. And so God is saying, yes, the ultimate victory comes when we sacrifice ourselves. The ultimate victory comes when we put others first, when we are willing to struggle and suffer. And then that ultimate victory opens the door to the penultimate victory, the reign of God through Jesus Christ, in which all things will be made right, 
in which he will have all authority, all power, without suffering, without death, without any struggle. But the way to get there is through self-sacrifice, through pain, through struggles. But we, <laughs> we, like Peter, are also like Queen, you know, the rock group. I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. But that's not how we get there. We get there through patience, through suffering, through being willing to do whatever it takes to do the work of the kingdom of God. So what does it mean for you and me? First off, it means that you can know a lot about Jesus and you can be a self-professed Christian, but not really understand at all. And maybe not even have a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And that should be a big concern. We need to understand who Jesus is from what Jesus says. We have to understand what the kingdom of God is from what the scriptures say and not put our own presuppositions upon it and marry the things of the world with the things of God. Scott Heisey um, says this, uh, he said, we might be tempted to deal a bit harshly with Peter for his lack of understanding, but honestly, the church today is often no better. We still want to utilize Jesus as a pawn in power politics, still want the church to receive some privileges and perks that are not accorded to other religious faiths, still think that we can legislate and strong-arm people into behaving better. To a lot of Christian people, America feels more and more like some kind of Caesarea Philippi, too, and we're pretty sure we know how to deal with that kind of secular, secular influence through power. We, too, need to hear Jesus say, especially in the Caesarvilles of life, that what is most important for the sake of the gospel is that we do our spirit-led best to keep in mind the things of God and not the things of business-as-usual politics. So our minds need to change. We need to be careful to assure that our thinking about Christ, our thinking about the kingdom of God is right. And that is part of why we observe Lent. Lent is a time when we focus in on disconnecting from our worldly ways of thinking that have built up over the last months and refocus in on what Jesus Christ has called us to be and do. We are called to give up something in order to refocus ourselves. We are called to give up something often in order to become more willing to give up more. This practice, these practices, either adding on some dis extra discipline or giving up something, all of them are about growing closer to God. 
And there's a trap that we can fall into with any kind of spiritual discipline. And that trap is to uh, use the, the, the discipline to build ourselves up, to make ourselves feel better, more worthy, rather than to focus in on our relationship with God. Your spiritual disciplines are not about proving yourself. They, your self-denial is not about focusing on yourself, but about helping you to focus on God and on the kingdom of God so that we can divorce ourselves from the ways of this world that are so compelling and so demanding upon us so that we can truly look to the source of life, the source of hope, the source of our very selves in God. Sometimes when we're um, practicing spiritual disciplines, we are like the, uh, the person in W.H. Alden's poem, Oh, miserable, oh, excuse me, Oh, miserable, wicked me. How interesting I am. We focus so much on how awful we are that we miss who we are in Jesus Christ that we miss that we are redeemed in Christ in order to bear the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And that's what our disciplines help us to do to take up our cross, to be willing then to suffer, to be willing to do whatever it takes to grow in our relationship with God so that we grow in our ability to reflect God into the world, to hold the keys and open the doors for other people to come into the kingdom. And that means we break ties and allegiance to the world's ways. Uh, in... Um, Meditations on the Cross, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, in order to accomplish these things, we need to do a few things. We need to be willing to sacrifice. Jesus said, take up your cross. So many people think that becoming a Christian means that God's job then is to make your life happy and good and to give you the warm, fuzzy feelings all the time. But we are called to, into the kingdom of God, into the way of Jesus Christ, who willingly sacrificed because this world is broken. And in order for the kingdom of God to come, there are things that have to be done in this world that mean that we pay a price in order for the next to come. And it is not all about ease and happiness. It is about following after our Lord and Savior who suffered for us and calls us to suffer, to be willing to do the hard work, to accept trials, to break the power of comfort that overshadows so many of our lives. Bonhoeffer also says this means that we always, in every circumstance, are willing to forgive. Jesus did what he did in order to bring forgiveness. If we are going to carry our cross, if we are going to carry the cross of Jesus Christ, then we too must forgive. These are hard things. 
but God has called us to them, and God will equip us for them. So during this Lenten season, I pray that we will become stronger and more faithful and more understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done and what he calls us to do.